Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Contractor Evolution. My guest on the show today is Nick Slavic, owner of Nick Slavic Painting and Restoration Company, uh, the chairman of the board for the Painting Contractors Association, or PCA for short. And he's also a minor, actually, I'd say major celebrity in the painting world known for his Ask a Painter Facebook Live series. If you're a painting nerd, you've likely seen him online already. Now, on today's episode, we try to answer one simple question. Should you collaborate with your competition? Entrepreneurs have strong opinions when it comes to this polarizing question, and I've heard the case for both sides made a hundred times. Many claim it's unwise to share your trade secrets or fraternize with the enemy in any way, shape, or form. And others say there's more than enough work for everyone and that connecting with other contractors is the fastest way to compress learning curves and raise the bar for the industry as a whole. So let's get to the answer to this with Nick Slavic. You're watching Contractor Evolution where we unpack the systems, tactics, and skills you need to take your fast-growing contracting business to the next level. You're here to learn what it takes to scale up, work less, and increase profitability. You've come to the right place. Stay tuned to learn what separates the new breed of contractor from the old school, and welcome to your ultimate guide on the business of contracting. Nick Slavic, it's good to see you, man. Welcome to Contractor Evolution. No, thank you for the opportunity, man. It's always good to talk to you. It's great to see you. Um, so I thought we'd start here. Like you are um, a really well-known guy in the North American painting space for your involvement with the PCA, for your videos, which we'll get to later. For our, our audience members who don't know anything about you, do, do you mind just telling us a bit about your story, the beginning of your business, the early days, the struggle, the grind, where it's led to now? Uh, just Just fill us in a bit if you don't mind. Yeah, hundred percent. So boy, uh, I, I felt like I am fortunate and unfortunate enough to have my foot in two worlds, kind of like the BC and AD worlds where my father's era of contracting and, and now ours. And, uh, so I got forced into this trade when I was 10 years old. Uh, my father was an English major. My mother was a journalism major and, uh, they, my father painted through college to pay for his college tuition which was a thing you could just do. I don't think you can paint for a summer and pay for college tuition anymore. Um, but he could not find his way in the journalism world. Uh, he wanted to be a newspaper writer. So he did what he did in college. He started a painting company. So um, then as most upper Midwestern trades-based family businesses go, he pressed mom into service. He pressed brother into service. He pressed me into service. And I sort of did the indentured servitude thing from 10 right. to 18. And uh, yeah, it was basically just every summer, uh, every summer, every evening, every weekend, every holiday, you just, you know how it goes. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, after that, uh, from 18 to 22, uh, I joined the uh, United States Army, uh, active duty service for four years. And um, I don't know why, uh, when I think about it back then, it was probably just to get a break from the old man and painting for a while. <laughs> you know? So I uh, did my four years of service. Uh, Thank you for your service. Side. 
Oh yeah, no Actually, problem, man. I want to point out quick aside. I just saw a photo of you last week on Facebook in your guard, like in your proper uniform, and man, did you look skinny? That thing looked tight, dude. Like women have spanks, and I have my old army uniform. Like it is, so I use it as no joke. It's like an ultimate accountability thing for me, which is just trying to be consistent, not extreme. Which is every year on Memorial Day, I, I go around with the rest of uh, my my war veteran buddies. And we read the names of deceased veterans at cemeteries. We play taps. We shoot the rifles. It's sort of my contribution as a veteran. It's a thing I've been doing for 20 years now. And for that reason, uh, I throw on an old military uniform just to see if it'll still fit. And uh, this is the toughest year I've had so far. (laughs) I I got the buttons done. But seriously, man, if I would have sneezed, it would have been all over. So. But it is ultimate accountability. So thank you for that. And uh, anybody looks better in a military uniform. It is. And I am proof of that. So it's true. uh, Yeah. So active duty service. uh, I did Afghanistan. I did Iraq. uh, I was airborne. I learned how to parachute out of planes. I did all the fun stuff, the cowboy stuff that uh, young men do, young women do uh, in the army. Uh, When I when I got back, I got the GI Bill and they were going to pay for college. So I thought, you know, Way to get my money out of the government. I'm going to go to college and get every penny I can out of Uncle Sam. So I uh, went to school, got a bachelor's degree in business administration with a double minor in two forms of accounting. All the while, I was working with my dad um, saying, you know, hey, what does this family business need? Because mom's in it, brother's in it, I'm in it. When I get out of college, it's go time. Like we need to do something with this business. And he kind of advised me about what the business needed uh, the entire time I was in college. So every thesis, every class, every elective I took was basically um, geared towards entrepreneurship, trades-based family businesses, accounting, marketing, you know, all the stuff that uh, just a business needs, the nuts and bolts unsexy stuff. So I graduated. Um, I came back to rejoin the family business and we had this seminal moment in my family's history where we all gathered around my own dining room table, mom, dad, brother, me, and my soon to be wife. And I I basically said, here we go, guys. You know, I've been a craftsperson for 15 years now. My brother has a design degree. Uh, my dad is the figurehead. My mom does the books as she also works with us. I'm about to get married. We have three, four families, uh, depending on this company. Now, what do we do? And my dad basically told me, there is no place here for you and there is no path to ownership. And uh, it was a big surprise, right? Because he was kind of coaching me all through college about, hey, this is what we can do. This is what we can do. I don't know what his intention was. Uh, love and respect my father, but it was his business and his choice. He did not want to include me in the ownership of the business. He offered me a laborer position for the rest of my life. And, you know, that that was that put me in a tough position because I want to honor thy father. But also, that's not living up to my capacity. And, um, you know, if right now my business has core values and they are very important to me. And when people ever question whether those are important to me, I will tell them I left my own family business because our core values didn't meet. So these are I will I will leave that. I will die on that hill. Uh, That's how important core values are to the structure of a business. So I did. I left 15 years ago this year. Um, I started the Nick Slavic Painting and Restoration Company, and the business and my life and everything I've poured into it has been a treatise in treating the next generation of craftspeople, whether they be my family or strangers, better than I was treated in this trade. You know, mm-hmm. I was I was brought up by God love my father, but I got brought up in the old version of the trades where an old grumpy person screamed at you, "Do mm-hmm. it better, do it faster," mm-hmm. and it took eleven years before I got one attaboy. 
Uh, that's not how anybody younger than us functions anymore. They will not wait six months before their first attaboy if they're doing attaboy work. So yeah, this whole business has been a treatise on the trades need to change. I need to change. We all need to change. What better place to do it than my own business? Mm. Um, can I put you on the spot and ask what your core values are in your, in 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 Nick Slavic painting and decorating? Like now today? Yes. Gain and maintain trust. Constant improvement. Quality always wins. Discipline equals freedom and produce. <laughs> those are great. I love those. You can tell you're a military guy. Um, <laughs> okay, so you, so your dad, you know, your dad bless his heart. Uh, you come home, he's like, uh, I don't know, yeah. How how does a how does a career like on the job site forever sound? And you're like, ah, I think I'm good. Um, tell me about like those first, I don't know, five, ten years of going out on your own. Yeah. So even now I think about it, if you segment my professional life, this is my 30th year doing some sort of painting, right? And if you segment my life into sort of trades V1 and trades V2, V1 was with my father, old school, old boy system, taking cash jobs, working for people we know, you know, hiring buddies in the summer. And then trades V2, where we actually have something written down in the business and there's some sort of metrics and data. Uh, even within trades V2, my first five years or so, maybe even 10 years, was largely unintentional. And I, I kind of was recreating what my father was doing. In my first one to three years, I was yelling at young people. You know, uh, I thought the way to succeed in business was brute strength, martyrdom, and just basically 100 hours a week. Like, if you want more money, more hours. It's a very simple math problem for me. Um but I did burn down versions of my own company. I had great young people working for me that probably still would be working for me, but I treated them like my father treated me and magically they left. And you know what? That's my fault. So I soon came to understand that treating people like I was treated, fair or not fair, is not the way to do this and nobody's gonna hang around. So I had to go through this kind of like semi-deep personal reformation early on in the business where I kind of just made a long list of things where I, I was recognizing traits of, of in myself of my father and his era of trades based ownership and leadership. And I kind of really like against my own will, forced myself to change some of those things. And uh, yeah. And then you kind of break down my 15 years into the first part, unintentional rec recreating what my father created. The second part, discovery, uh, thinking that I'm on an island thinking that every problem I encountered was, I was the first one to ever encounter it. And then I had to come up with a new solution that nobody had ever thought about before because I never collaborated with people. And then the final third has been the time where I seriously got busy with this, where, you know, everything changed. I became a professional, you know, that sort of thing. And, and this, the third third of my professional time of running this business, everything that people know me for now has happened in this third third. How would you describe this third third and when did the growth when did the growth of the business really start happening? Why did it start happening? What were some of the changes you made to yourself internally? What were some of the changes you made to your mindset around collaboration and actually working with other business owners rather than living in fear of them? Yeah, uh collaboration like literally was the difference. And there are many unsatisfying conversations we could have where it's like, well, you know, it's just a it's a scale. It's a spectrum. It creeps in over time. It did not creep in over time. The second 
The second I talked to another painter, my world opened up. That painter connected me with the PCA. The PCA connected me with the finest people in the world. The PCA connected me with you guys, BTA. And I am so grateful for that. Like, like I said, there are many unsatisfying things where you can say, well, I can't really say the time. It's like, I can go back on Instagram to that first direct message from Jason Paris. He was the first painter I ever talked to. I can look back at the date and time and say my entire life changed the second I, yes, I, I stopped seeing other tradespeople and business owners as enemies. I started collaborating and working together with others. Where do you think this um, old school mindset towards competitors come from? And by by this old school mindset, I mean this. I don't want to talk to the other guys at the paint store. They might steal my trade secrets or my ideas or my painters or my customers. Or I don't want to make friends with the other you know, GC at the lumber yard because we bid on the same projects. Um, where, where does that fear of collaboration come from and is it warranted on, on any level? It's, it's warranted because we're humans. Humans have feelings. Not all feelings are valid, but they are there for a reason, right? Like not every feeling we have is invalid. Uh, you should follow some of your feelings, but you do need to inspect them once in a while because they they can often lead you astray. Um, I only have super deep thoughts about this um, in, <laughs> go, in trying to reform deep. myself. Yeah. Oh, man. Listen, so in trying to reform myself, you have to be very honest with yourself, right? You can't be kind to yourself. You need to just say some brutal truths. And one of the things that I had to come to grips with is... I don't have any trade secrets. There is nothing I do differently than anybody else, except maybe a whole pile of mundane, unsexy, boring things that we all take for granted. I I feel that if I do have any success, it's because we do a lot of those things fairly consistently. And that's about it. But when you think about it, people think, well, listen, I have a secret way of coming up with price. I have a secret way of painting. I have a secret way of getting clients or employees. And then I will challenge that. I don't like to challenge my own industry, but I will definitely push back um, with the goal of learning and progressing and say, we all wear the same pants. We all buy the same paint. We all buy the same brush. We all drive the same damn vans and trucks. If you, Nobody's making their own paint. Nobody's making their own tools. We're all, all of our clients are typically about the same people living. Nobody has a secret enclave of employees. We are all doing the same thing. And the few people who can break through into the 1% of our industry, which is anybody that has more than five or 10 employees, basically does a whole series of unsexy, mundane, basic business things, golden rule, decent human being things every single day, unstoppingly. It's so interesting. Like um, there is almost no such thing as intellectual property in this space. And that's not the case for other industries where you've got a really forward and progressive algorithm. You've got really interesting um, legal frameworks. You actually have a set process or a manufacturing process or a or a, a an assembly process, or you have access to materials that other people don't. Like in other industries, you actually could make the case for trade secrets, but when it comes yes. to blue collar businesses, 
I really don't think that you can, unfortunately. And some people won't like hearing that. Somebody is definitely in the car and I'll be like, you're an idiot. Like I absolutely do this differently. And and maybe they're maybe they're right. Maybe there's something that I don't see. But but broadly speaking, in my experience with the businesses that we coach at Breakthrough Academy, the thousands more we talk to on this podcast, um, the many, many conferences that I that we go to, there's there's almost never been a moment where I'm like, wow, that thing that you do is um completely different and 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 new and and uh and fresh compared to what everyone else does. And so I think there's like a level of humility and acceptance that is hard it's a pill to swallow at first because you need to admit to yourself that none of the things that we do are that hard. Like this isn't rocket science, which I think is hard for a craftsperson to be like to to admit that to themselves. Sorry, it's not that it's not hard. I, I should I should frame that differently. It's it's not that complicated. And more actually, more what I want to say is, the information isn't secret. Like the the the, the frameworks and the playbooks and the SOPs exist. The information exists. It's a conversation or a phone call away from you accessing it. Um, and so I think that there's like, there's that, there's that pill swallowing moment at the beginning, mm -hmm. but once you do your entire paradigm changes because you're like, oh, okay, I actually have nothing like particularly special here. What's special is like the team building I do because of the people I select, uh, the critical thinking that I can deploy as an entrepreneur, uh, some of the marketing and branding and sales process that attracts us the absolute ideal clientele. But the actual work that happens is by and large commoditized from person to person, from yes. business to business. 100%. And, uh, you know, it's it's a, cle well, it's, a, it's a sort of like vulgar cliche for a reason. But if you don't steal from people and, and you answer your phone quickly as a home service professional, you're considered the top 5% mm -hmm. of any industry. And that's, that's the barrier right there. It's, it's doing some very basic things consistently, things that a lot of other industries, a lot of other businesses do, you know, mm -hmm. banks and grocery stores and stuff are professional. Pharmacies are professional. They do these things. It just hasn't crept into the trades. So, and, and I, I should say this too, which is people hear me say there's no competition all the time and that we don't have any trade secrets. I'll be the first one to admit if I was a stock trader, there's some proprietary stuff. Going right. On. Right. People will in Manhattan, people will move one building closer because that gives them a thousandth of a second jump making a trade. Right. So there is some proprietary stuff. And I will even say this in the commercial and industrial painting uh, segments of our industry. There is competition. Mm -hmm. There's not that many players there. Most of the large general contractors know them and, and there is competition. So I I don't I think it would be it would be bad business advice to say, if you and three other people do the entire East Coast and you're doing oil rigs and water tanks and, and you know, Amazon distribution centers, I don't know that I would open your books to one another. Mm. I would say that, you know what, maybe there is some competition there, but certainly in the residential sector of home services. No, not right now. Um, I remember you telling me you did, uh, maybe you can break down the number crunching that you did, but you did, you did a little math with, with your buddy, well, our friend too, Jason Paris to actually like prove to yourself there is no competition. Do you mind outlining what you guys did? Yeah. So, uh, the reason behind doing that is, is something funny, Jason and I, for anybody who's seen us together, uh, we're hilarious because Jason is an odd human being. He's, he's basically an <laughs> alien that has math running in through his head every second of the day. He's a trained economist from the Uni university of Minnesota. 
Um, he runs a business three times larger than mine, just his painting section. I think they're probably, uh, his organization is 10 times larger, uh, than mine. And, um, Jason love Jason was the guy who introduced me to the idea of data plus feelings, which is your feelings are there for a reason, but you should probably have a look at that data. And, uh, we started the gathering of Minnesota painters in a response to this zeitgeist on the internet. Uh, there's a whole bunch of us that were chattering local on Facebook groups and Instagram and things like that. And we started to see each other's trucks and we almost felt this tension of like, I like this guy. I see him mentioned in my local Facebook groups when people are looking for painters. I see his truck. I know he's a nice guy, but I still have this competition tingle in me. Like, should I be nice to this guy? Right? Well, Jason, he, he reached out to me. Uh, he was one of the first painters I ever talked to. And he basically told me I'm stupid if I don't do that. Like it was so obvious to him that you would collaborate with other tradespeople and business owners that he was almost confused why I didn't. Right. So when we started the gathering of Minnesota painters, we got a local Facebook group together. I think there's 320 members now um, to get these guys in one room together is tough. Right. Cause I still had a tingle of that competition. So Jason seeing that this might be a friction point was genius enough to create a spreadsheet to break down the entire Minneapolis St. Paul residential painting market. And he he back extrapolated from a bunch of data from paint stores, tried to figure it out market cap. And then uh, when you get in a room with Jason Paris and he's got a $10 million residential repaint business, everybody looks at him like the boogeyman. Like, I don't even know why I'm operating because Jason probably gets 80 to 100% of all the painting jobs in Minnesota, right? That's what they believe. Well, that's what they believe. Feelings. Right plus data. So Jason came with the data and he had a spreadsheet that basically, and he put it in the most simple kindergarten language. He's like, listen, guys, here's the deal. Right now, if you break down our market, there's about X amount of dollars worth of residential painting going on. My $10 million business controls about 2% of it. And people are like, oh, 2%. Wow. You have 2% of the entire market. Jason's like, yeah, that leaves 98% for you. Is that all right? Like, yes, I'm, I'm, I made a mark. You can notice my impact on the market, but that's 98% of all residential painting for the rest of us. That was one of the like inflection points of my professional career where I looked out over 40 master craftspeople and tradespeople who all thought that they had a secret. Meanwhile, we're all still wearing the same pants. And I saw a collective sigh of relief mm -hmm. in the entire room where everybody laid down their sword and shield. And that group has such a good culture, such good camaraderie, we trade jobs, we trade clients, we, we help each other out on that thing. And that group has kicked off over the last couple of years, about 25 or 30 other gathering groups across the country and in Canada now. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting how your perception of things can uh, feel incredibly real and incredibly true and like something should be trusted in the moment. But then you give it some space, some time, some conversations, some guidance, some wisdom, some counseling, some prayer, and then some data. And you are left to realize, I don't know what I was thinking or I don't know what I was yeah. feeling, but it definitely wasn't accurate and it definitely wasn't the truth. Your your mind can and will, uh, emphasis on the will, lead you astray if you let it. Oh, yes. Um, so when people say, and this has become a bit of a cliche now, it's like, oh, there's so much work out there. There's more than enough for everything. You guys just did a little bit of like number crunching to actually to create the proof for that. And I think anyone in their in their own market could do a similar exercise and come up with that if they're struggling with with a belief system. Like there actually is plenty to go around. Uh, you should just look at the data and and, uh, and figure that out for yourself. It's um, it's it's. 
it's super interesting to hear you kind of like talk through that, that change in your growth mindset. Did you uh, notice anything begin to like in your business game with the way you led your team, like besides the good feelings and the making friends and the getting over it, did you, did you start to notice some benefits for your business uh, pretty soon thereafter? And, and what were they like? Did I notice benefits? Uh, it was only benefits after that. Like, you know, when I travel the country giving my master's classes, I open up my business and I will show people my my growth curve from uh, the unintentional times to the discovery periods to now the professional uh, era of my life. And that graph does not budge that much for the first 10 years of my professional life. In the last five, six, seven years, it's the hockey stick. My My life, my personal life, my professional life, uh, my involvement with the industry hockey sticked at one inflection point. And again, it's this is not one of those unsatisfying conversations. I can point to the human, the day, the time, the organization, the other people that helped me out with that. The second I got involved with other people and I got challenged by them, um, I started rethinking everything I did. I got a glimpse of what a professional business looked like. Like you had an idea, like, yeah, bank's a professional business. You know, they have some things in place and this and that. But you never really understood, like, I got a peek behind the curtain that every real business in the world has really the same things in place. Now, they change by industry, but really the fundamentals are all there where you need accountability systems and processes and human systems and marketing systems and sales systems, and you adapt them to your industry. And the second I got a peek at that, I was raring to go because um, I believe that most people uh, maybe I won't speak for all industries, maybe in the residential painting industry, they're limited by information or by grit or both. And I had grit by the wheelbarrow full. I was willing to work a thousand hours a week if needed. I just didn't know where to direct it all. The second that Jason Paris, the PCA and other uh, professionals from around the country gave me a little glimpse at it. Uh, I just redirected my efforts and yeah, it all changed from there. You were a very early adopter of this idea of uh, like fearless sharing. And we've used this term trade secrets. You have given away all your trade secrets for quite a while now via this thing you call Ask a Painter. What is Ask a Painter? Why did you start it? Uh, maybe just tell us a little bit about that journey. 100%, man. Uh, so I've, I've come to known in the last couple of years that this is called servant leadership. This is uh, people have this almost biological urge to um, share with others. And I was stuck in a world where I thought everybody else is competition. So I, I shared with my wife and my friends and people who are really less enthusiastic about the craft than I was. And I didn't get a lot of traction with it. But the second that social media opened up, uh, I started openly sharing on that. And um, at about the same time, and this is this is why I love some luck and kismet and, and whatever else you want to call it, but the second that the PCA asked me to do a job site walkthrough, Facebook came out with this thing called Live about seven or eight years ago. And so it was one of those things like, hey, listen, uh, grace is given to early adopters. I know this now from being around social media long enough. So I'm just going to be one of those early adopters. I'm going to start trying this thing out. And I'm pretty good from the hip. There's not many things people can ask me or comment on that I can't, you know, give a great answer to. So I started Ask a Painter Live very unintentionally. It started off with a live, this old house style walkthrough of a historic farmhouse that we were redoing. Mm. And everybody loved it. The PCA shared it. It was great. Again, it was, oh, I could never show you my job site because you're going to see how I lay it out. And then there's going to be a trade secret. And it turned out that 
in the first year or two, I got a lot of pushback from craftspeople around the world that were basically saying, you're giving up all the secrets. And it's like using drop cloths. Like if that's a <laughs> secret, that is a, that is a tough place to be. Like if, if anything you see here is a secret, I use brush and rollers to paint walls and I use drop cloths on the floor and I tape the woodwork off. Like this is not earth shattering, mind blowing sort of stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Really... It, it was such a hit that uh, people asked me to do more of it. And initially I started a show called Ask a Painter Live. And it was actually directed towards homeowners because that's who I was connected with on social media. People in my hometown where people would ask me questions. What brush should I use? What primer should I use? And I would answer that very quickly. Uh, professional painters found out about me. And within probably six months, the show, the show's core demo switched unbeknownst to me from homeowners to professional painters and then now in the last couple of years business owners so it has been a weekly live show originating on facebook it goes to instagram now it goes to tiktok and youtube and i basically showcase the life of a master craft person we mm-hmm. talk about painting painting techniques but uh especially in the last four or five years business i i basically opened up my business and so for seven years i've broadcasted live weekly without missing a week and Seven years ago, I was a single owner operator, and now we have a legitimate professional organization, and you can actually watch in real time my personal growth and professional growth. Um, yeah, it's pretty safe to say that giving away all of your secrets has made your business and your life richer. I did I, that cracks me up. That's kind of funny. I can picture you eight years ago telling your wife excitedly about the difference between <laughs> oil primers and latex oh, primers, and she's like going to drive the car in the ditch. And you're like, it's, I was, it's cool. And she's like, Nick, like, can you please listen, just shut up? And you're like, I gotta, I gotta you, take this somewhere. Thank God, thank God, Mark Mark Zuckerberg came up with that feature at that time. The world would have been dude, robbed. I would have been divorced. Like literally, I was like, do you not love me? Do you not want to heal about oil primer? I don't feel you're giving me the attention I deserve for my knowledge of the molecules of oil primer. Like I really felt that that was a personal attack. That she was not as interested in that as I was. Yeah, yeah. You're like I you 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 don't care. You don't support me. Here I am yeah, banging geez. on about you know, the like the 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 top 100 list of of paintbrush brands and 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 I'm just putting you to sleep. I'm so hurt. That's pretty funny though. I'm uh <coughs> I'm glad she got bored and you found another audience. Um because the world's a better place and I'm I'm sure <laughs> she is too. Uh, I do want to just like hit on a few, like, I think we just linger on this point of like the broad benefits of collaboration. I mean, that, that's why I wanted to have you on the show. And that's, I think that's the overarching message I want to communicate here. Yeah. And maybe we can just like go through a few of these things. Um, I, I jotted down some notes just before we hopped on, like what, what do, what can you get better at when you, and by the way, this is my direct advice to you listening to this right now, pick up the phone. Call those two competitors that you low-key kind of like, but you feel that competition tingle, as Nick says, and you're like, I don't know, but I like their brand. They have nice trucks. He seems – I saw him at the gym the other day. He seems like a, seems like my kind of person. I, I saw her uh, at the golf course, and, like, you know, they, they seem like they, they run a good business. I like to connect with her. Like, look, whatever it is, like, whoever they are, just pick up the phone ask to buy them lunch and see what happens. That's my direct advice. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. But I want to come back to what's available when you do this, which is I'll just go through these lists and you can maybe pick up on mm-hmm. uh, pick up on the one you, you gravitate towards the most. There's technical skills that you can dramatically shrink the learning curve on. 
There's actual personal relationships. I would go so far as to say friendships, lifelong friendships with people who you have an insane amount of shared experience, uh, lived experience with because you're fighting the same fight every day. It's an unbelievable antidote to loneliness because owning a business is not... Um, you can feel estranged from your people, from your friends, from your wife, from your parents, from your siblings, whatever. So it's an antidote to loneliness. It can give you massive inspiration. Um, you know, without a vision, the people will perish. And if you don't have a vision for who you could become, uh, a really good way to do that is to see what other people have become. And you will, you'll be unbelievably motivated by that. And then I think the the fifth thing that I would say is just it, it point, it can, it can show you blind spots that you don't know you mm -hmm. have. So it can really challenge your thinking. So technical skills, friendships, it fixes loneliness, it fixes loneliness. It gives you inspiration, uh, and, and it will shine light on the blind spots. And, and Anything you want to maybe add on to that or, or pick up there? Yeah. So this is why I'm a huge fan of you and BTA, which is you guys are professionals and everything you say is true uh, based on experience from somebody who's been doing it for 30 years. And if people actually acted on that stuff, their lives would be completely changed. So there's a lot of just random advice given out there. And a lot of it sounds good. It's almost just these placated terms. What you just said is some of the deepest wisdom that I've ever heard about this sort of subject of reaching outside yourself. And the thing, see, this is, this is why I'm such a big fan of yours, because the one thing that I wanted to bring up that we haven't talked about, and I never hear anybody talk about is friendship. And you said it, you just, I mean, friends. So I think, especially, you know, as we, if I get too far off the track, you let me know. No, no, this is good. As, Go for it. As we're a bunch of middle-aged dudes, you know, starting families, this and that business owners, um, Friendship falls off. Man. It totally like, does. I, I was just talking with somebody about this today where it's like males in their middle ages. I can't speak for the female experience, but like males in their middle ages, like friendship is a dying thing. And and not not dudes who you play darts with or golf with, like, but genuinely friends. Like people that I consider a friend. Uh, this is my litmus test because I like to oversimplify everything. A friend is legitimately somebody that you would feel bad letting down or disappointing. And you can extend that to coaches and mentors. Um, when I was coached by you guys, I created a connection with you guys where I was actually legitimately like, I was stressed out because if I let you guys down or didn't do my homework or something, I felt bad. That lets you know that that's an effective organization with a real connection. Um, I found my mentor through a friend in the industry. Mm -hmm. uh, my mentor is a retired college professor of entrepreneurship. I never would have had access to this human had I not, not forged a lifelong friendship with people. And now it is the ultimate, I don't want to let this person down. You know, the worst yeah. mentorship, the worst friendship is the one where it's like, yeah, you just lie or um, uh, abdicate something and you don't really care. That's not real friendship or mentorship, but um, reaching out to other painters, uh, other business owners, and just even people in other industries and forming those friendships. I personally and professionally, we always think about the technical stuff, just like you said, Hey, here's a, here's a coding that we can use. Here's an SOP. Here's a piece of software. Here's coach. Here's share the name of BTA. Mm -hmm. But we always forget about and never talk about the personal side of this, which is you grow your business all you want. If you don't grow as a human, you're dead. You're absolutely dead. One thing I wish they told us in our teens and 20s, and when I say us, I just mean society writ large, is I wish that they told you that uh, it gets harder to make friends in your 30s and 40s than it is in your teens and your 20s. 
I had no idea that that was the case. And I'm now going like, you know what? You actually don't. You're not constantly like fed this like stream of new people. You're not like traveling abroad every year and staying in hostels and making Facebook friends. You're not in university classes where you're fed a whole bunch of uh, people to meet and and, and kind of mingle with all the time. It does become quieter and you have responsibilities and and mental focus which takes up a lot of your time and it should like i'm not knocking that's like a natural part of growth and evolution and moving through the chapters and the seasons of your life but you're maybe not aware or at least i wasn't aware that it that the tap gets turned off as far as like friend making is concerned or not turned off but turned down and i think for business owners in particular you have such a unique and at times bizarre lived experience that you kind of, you're actually not that eligible to be friends with that many people. And so you kind of do need to find your tribe as cheesy as that sounds. And that's why I think like, yeah, man, if there's like some guy in your small town who you think runs a good business, but you're nervous to call, if you, if you just like go to their website, find the phone number and call and be like, Hey, I'm this business. Can we grab lunch? He'll probably say yes, and two weeks later, you'll be, like, going for a hike and then going to the brewery, and then you'll be talking shop, and you'll be friends before you know it. And I do think that you can place a – like, not to, you know, sort of cheapen this, but you can put a monetary value on that in your business. It will make you better, I guarantee it. Well, and, and, you know, the thing I suffer from is utilitarianism, which is, me too. uh, and most, most of my closest people, yeah, well, it's obvious with you guys, that's why we got along so well, which was, uh, if we're going to do something – uh, it's going to be meaningful, but we're going to get some stuff done too. Totally. Like this, there's going to be a product that comes out of this and it's going to be tangible and real and we couldn't have done it without each other. So sometimes um, it's, it's uh, our play dates are sometimes the PCA Expo, which is, it's an excuse for us to get together and talk about, hey, what kind of estimating software do you use? Next thing you know, you're talking about your kids, you know, and it's almost that excuse we need to just get over that BS thing of, well, if we're going to have this conversation, we need to get something out of it. If we just talk about our personal lives and you know our, our hunting and fishing on the weekends, it's not a fully rounded relationship or we're not getting anything out of it. But I've, I've, come, I've come to find a healthy relationship with utilitarianism and emotions like that, which is all of the people that I like up to most in this industry and others are people who we literally want to do something. We're not going to waste our time because like you said, the lived experience of a business owner is wild. Mm-hmm. It is nobody can prepare you for it. It is absolutely wild. And you don't have a lot of extra time. So you better have a deep emotional connection. You better change something about yourself, change something about your business, change something about your future, uh, get challenged, something. To me, that doesn't cheapen it. That actually makes these relationships go from 2D to 3D. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a nice way to put it. It's just an added dimension to it. Um, it always cracks me out. You're like, oh, you nerd out about software and then you're talking about kids. Like it always cracks me out with, with the, like our Breakthrough Academy community. We have, um, you know, for those of you listening, who don't know Breakthrough Academy. I, this won't be a long plug. It's just like, we have 550 entrepreneurs that we actively coach. We, we, we implement our systems into their businesses. We watch them grow. We make them make friends with each other. Uh, for this exact reason. And it always cracks me up when we do in-person events, of which we'll do a few a year. 
you notice like the um the stages of the event there's like the icebreaker at the beginning where everyone's kind of like got their hands in their pockets and like very sort of like professional and very like courteous and they they're like yeah so like what's your business and like oh cool like that's that's cool this is my business what's your business start, how many starts, vans do you have yeah, yeah it starts like very it starts there and then like by the first <laughs> afternoon by the second day by the third day it's basically like uh it is not unlike a summer camp for middle-aged people and everyone's hugging and crying and laughing and yelling and it's like a totally yeah. there's just this arc that always seems to occur and I'm sure you see the same thing at your PCA events which is actually a good segue you are hyper involved with the PCA we've mentioned it a few times why don't you just mention because there'd be a lot of you know not not all of our listeners are painters but lots of them are what is the PCA what's your involvement with it why are you such a big believer in it yeah, the PCA is a 140-year-old nonprofit, the Painting Contractors Association, that serves the painting industry, industrial, commercial, residential. Um, their purpose on earth is to build better contractors. That is the motto of the PCA. We want to build better contractors. Uh, what it doesn't say is bigger contractors. So it serves everybody from the master craftsperson wallpaper hanger that's never going to have an employee to uh, industrial and commercial companies that have a thousand employees, give or take, and are multinational. So it's a it's a great organization um, that taught me the meaning of servant leadership. Um, after getting a taste of reaching out and collaborating with others, um, taking the lead, starting groups, getting together, learning from each other, that's servant leadership because there's no primary monetary return on that, right? You're not doing that for an immediate monetary return. Somebody is taking the lead as business owners, not a problem for us, right? But it's also in a in a stance of servitude, which is, I don't know if there's anything that's going to come out of this, but I'm going to do it anyway. And magically, you'll find business owners, as well as all the PCA members, I think there must be 13, 1400 of us, give or take. Um, we're Naturally, we're involved in youth groups, churches, uh, community organizations, um, you know, uh, government organizations, things like that. Like, we have a biological urge to get involved because we are leaders and we can see things that we can contribute in a big way, utilitarianism, uh, with our efforts. And uh, we're going to do this anyway. The PCA is just a lightning rod we can direct all our lightning bolts at and actually move the needle on our industry and help each other. So it's uh, it's almost like this beautiful, it's beautiful utilitarian outlet for all of us servant leaders across the country. So like I said, 140-year-old organization, we hold the standards in the industry. Like if you ever wanted to know what a properly painted surface is, there's actually an accepted industry standard and it is free. Uh, there's a whole bunch of other tangible benefits, but exactly what we're talking about today, you can talk about the health insurance, you can talk about the trainings and the stuff like that. And that's world-class. We are the holders of that. If you just pay your dues, and browse the website and listen to overdrive and listen to the podcast you guys put out on there fine whatever that's okay you're not going to get anything out of that but if you go to the in-person events start collaborating with others around you the pca is basically the the hack for finding other people like you other servant leaders and people who think like you yeah <laughs> we go uh almost every year i've been to the last two uh one in florida a couple years ago we just just saw you in albuquerque I yeah. can uh, like wholeheartedly give the PCA like a glowing BTA endorsement for that reason. Like I um, am blessed and cursed to go to a lot of industry events every year and they are not all made equal. Plenty of them suck. I don't mind saying that. Uh, they're kind of corny. The food is lame. The speakers are dorks. The vibe <laughs> is off. The hotel sucks. Yeah. You're like, why am I here? <laughs> 
<laughs> not naming any names. Uh, the PCA is awesome. I, I look forward to it every year. The people there are awesome. There's guys like Nick, Jason Paris, the folks from yeah. Olive. Um, just yeah. like amazing, amazing group. If you are, a, if there's a painter listening to this, how do they get involved with the PCA? Well, it's pretty easy. You can trip over me on the internet and I'll connect you. Uh, but otherwise, PCAPainted.org, there is uh, an amazing support staff led by our executive director, Nigel. There is our board of directors, which again, uh, Jason uh, was the chair of the board right before me. I was his vice chair and he groomed me to, to basically understand what it is to lead from a board. There is an entire slew of board members, committee members, things like that. They're names that you guys would all know and love. And uh, they are super intentional about being servant leaders, giving back to this industry that has given them that much. So honestly, you reach out to me, you reach out to the PCA, we'll connect you. Just yeah. raise your hand. Cool. And if people did want to give you a follow along on the internet, where are you on LinkedIn? Are you on Insta? You're, I, you said Facebook Live. Where do people kind of like, uh, where do people follow you in your journey, Nick? Yeah, so it's Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. You go to any major social media platform, LinkedIn, like you said, you type in Nick Slavic or Slavic Nick, you can't butt trip across me. I I, uh, I produce a lot of content. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to tell you the value of that content, but there is a lot. It's pretty and, good. Uh, there's little, it's pretty there's good. little mountains of Slavic content you got to climb over everywhere you go, so... Um, go give him a follow guys. Uh, Nick is a friend of ours, friend of the show. Great, great, great man in the industry, dude. Thanks for doing this today. I really appreciate the conversation. It was really, really fun to jam with you. And, uh, I look forward to crossing paths with you again soon. One final question. How many games are the Minnesota Vikings going to win this year? Oh man. If I gave a crap about sports, I would tell you. Okay. Uh, to me, it's somewhere between all of them or none of them. <laughs> I guess we'll find out. <laughs> Less painting, more football, Nick. We're going to work on yeah, this. Listen, We're going to work on Like this. you said, the the life yeah. of an entrepreneur is a weird lived experience, and uh, sports is not something I have bandwidth for. I don't hate them. I just have no bandwidth. Uh, well said, man. I appreciate you doing this. We'll talk to you soon, buddy. See you next time. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for watching this episode of Contractor Evolution. If you've already subscribed to our channel, consider sharing this episode with another contractor who you think needs to hear it. Produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.